It's really been a rich month for me because I've had the privilege of being on our campuses in the, each location several times. On Wednesday nights in September, I've been teaching at the West Fort Worth campus, their version of the summit we have here on Wednesday nights. It's been really rich to be out there and see what God's doing. Every single week, I meet new people who are a part of West Fort Worth campus. Now, Monday nights, I've been going uh, with a lot of you to hear John Kitna, and that has been outstanding. Now, we're not meeting uh, tomorrow night at South Lake Campus to hear John Kitna because he said something about having to work. But the next two Monday nights, South Lake Campus, John Kitna, and that has been rich. And then, of course, it's always rich to be here on Wednesday nights in the summit here at this campus. We've heard from Dwight Robarts and right now from Dan Bouchelle. And then starting in October on all of our campuses, we're uh, uh, not having adult programming, but we're asking all of you to get in a small group. We are trying to grow followers of Jesus through worship, community, and service. And a big part of the community and service component at this church is done through small groups. So I really want to ask you to take a step, get out of your comfort zone, don't be like Brad, and join a small group. And here's the good thing. It lasts four weeks. So if you get in a really lousy group, we're not going to make you stay there till Jesus comes back. You can make some lame excuse and get in a different group next time. But we really want you to try small groups. They'll be a blessing. Now we've been in this series titled greater than the idea behind the series is asking the question, is God sufficient? In fact, is he more than sufficient to meet the greatest challenges that we face. We've already considered that God is greater than evil, that God is even greater than my doubts. And this morning, I'm hoping that some of you will finally hear the word, God is greater than my past. That's why I'm holding this map. This mat is a metaphor for your past. And to help you understand, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. And we'll understand why we weren't meant for mats. And as you're turning there, let me tell you the story of two nine-year-old boys. And they're sharing a hospital room. And one boy's clearly fairly nervous. And so the other boy says, why are you here? He says, well, they're going to take out my tonsils, and I have no idea what that means. And the other boy says, no sweat, I did that once. They're going to put you to sleep, you're going to wake up, you're going to eat all the jello and ice cream you want, and you go home, no big deal. And the boy said, well, that's cool, why are you here? He says, I'm not sure, I'm having something called a circumcision. And the other boy goes, dude, I had that when I was born, I couldn't walk for a year. Because some wounds just take a long time to heal. And my guess is some of you for a long time have struggled with something that happened a long time ago. It is amazing the capacity of the past to incarcerate the present. Maybe some of you saw... Uh, on 60 Minutes several months ago, 
a report about a group of people in our country that suffer a rare condition doctors call superior autobiographical memory. These are people that can remember in detail their past. One lady that the University of California has been doing research on for six years is named Jill Price. And she can remember in detail every single day of her life since she was 14 years old. For six years, they've studied her life. This is legit. She's not making this up. And you would think, well, that would be awesome to have such a strong memory. But it's not for her. It is a burden. Because she cannot forget a single wound, a single mistake, a single bad decision, a single unkind word, a single embarrassing moment. And she is imprisoned by her memory. She says that she can't go to sleep at night because of her memory. See, few types of bondage are greater than the prison of the past. But the good news is that God is greater than my past. And so let's read in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the floor. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So here's another amazing day in the life of Jesus. And he goes to this house. Now, he's going for a preaching service, not a healing service. But when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you never know what just might happen. And so he heals the man. And notice that Jesus' critics are not upset that he healed the man. They are upset that he forgave the man. And my guess is even the man's friends were a little confused too, because they did not bring their friend and go to all this trouble to get him to Jesus to hear your sins are forgiven. They were expecting your legs are well. 
Your paralysis is gone. Your strength is renewed. They didn't come and go all the way through the roof to to get your sins are forgiven. They thought they knew what their friend needed most of all. But Jesus knew there was a need greater than they realized. Because Jesus knew this man could not walk on his feet until he could walk in the Lord as a forgiven man. You see, I'm coming to understand something I wish I had understood years ago. That freedom from whatever kind of bondage or paralysis you suffer from is really applied forgiveness. That forgiveness is the key to all freedom. Now, the story is not teaching that all sickness is the direct result of sin. Now, sometimes in the Bible, people are sick because of their sin, but not every time someone's sick is it because of disobedience. But in a sense, all sickness is indirectly related to the fact that sin has entered into God's creation. See, God did not create a world where you needed to get biopsies. He did not create a world that needed emergency rooms. Sin, sickness, and bondage are the result of the fall. And if Jesus is going to undo the effect of what had this man on a mat, he was going to have to be greater than the cause. You see, every time Jesus healed somebody, he's driving back death. He is invading the province of sin and he is announcing that he is greater than sin. It's a statement about his authority to reverse the effects of the fall as the one who is greater than You see, this is Jesus' greatest miracle. Not his walking on water, healing the blind, even raising Lazarus. The greatest miracle of Jesus is this. He's got the authority to forgive. To offer forgiveness. And it is the reception. And the appropriation of this forgiveness that is the key to true freedom. Now think about it. Look at this verse with me. In Psalm 130, I mean. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Now just think about that. If God was a sin record keeper, if God was a debt Keeper, we're all on the mat. We're all paralyzed. But the next words say, but with you, there is forgiveness. And I think now I understand why so many people, even people like you that come to church every week, live in all kinds of prisons. Relational, emotional, spiritual bondage. 
Because of our inability to believe, conceive, receive the fact that Jesus is greater than our sins. And so I want to share with you two of the most liberating truths that I've ever learned. The first is this, that if Jesus is greater than, if he can offer forgiveness, then I'm no longer defined by past wrongs. Now, I read about a man named Rogers Cadenhead, who, when he realized that Pope Paul II was about to die, went and bought and owned the domain www.benedict16.com. Well, sure enough, Cardinal Benedict was made the next pope, and now he owns the name that the Vatican wants for the website. So he said to the Vatican, I'll give it to you. I don't want any money. Here's what I want. Three things. I want one of those big, massive Pope hats. I want a free stay in the Vatican Hotel. And I want complete absolution, no questions asked, for the third week of March, 1987. Now, what had he done so long ago that haunted him so much? You see, the Bible is full of heroes with some serious skeleton in the closet issues. Abraham was a liar and Moses was a murderer and David was an adulterer and Peter was a denier and Paul was a persecutor. And we hear those stories at church and Sunday school and we nod our heads and we say those are good stories. But somehow we think our mats are greater than all of those redemptive narratives in the Bible. Because after all, I'm the guy that bailed out on his own family. I'm the girl who got the abortion in college. I'm the dad that can't even support his own kids. I'm the one who betrayed. I'm the one who cheated. I'm the one who stole. I'm the one who molested. I'm the addict. I'm the one disowned. Now, where do you think those thoughts come from? I remember some years ago, my wife gave me a shirt and I really liked it. And we were out one night with the family at a Mexican restaurant and somehow I got a big old glob of salsa on that shirt. I don't remember how it happened. I'm sure it was the kid's fault. And I was disappointed because I liked the shirt. And my wife said, I think I can get that stain out. And so she did her magic. And she brought me back that shirt. And she did a wonderful job. If you took a magnifying glass and put it right up to that shirt, you might be able to see the faint outline of where a stain used to be. But I'm telling you, if I had that shirt on right now, you could walk and stand three feet in front of me and you'd never know. But I knew. And every time I saw that shirt, my eyes went straight to that spot. And all I could see was stain, stain, 
And I never wore that shirt again. And so you're taking a shower, going for a walk, driving to work. And it comes back. Stain. Stain. And maybe no one else knows and maybe you think you fooled the church. But you think the God of heaven will ever, ever not be able to see that stain? Where does that thought come from? Because I don't believe the God of heaven ever haunts his kids with the memory of the sins he said he was forgiving. Here's what the Bible says about the God of heaven. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What a powerful metaphor. You know, if you go north, at some point, you're going to start going south. But if you go east, when do you ever start going west? Never. How far is the east from the west? Because that's how far your sins have been removed. Or look at Micah seven nineteen. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. And when God throws your sins into the sea, the first thing he does is put up a no fishing sign. And yet we have such a struggle applying God's forgiveness. And it produces all kinds of bondage, including religious bondage. How many of us have bought the lie, if I just go to church and be religious then maybe God will make a deal with me about my stain. It's bondage. You know, in the Old Testament, there's some really intricate details about the furniture that's going to be in the tabernacle and later in the temple. You read all about it. You will never read about a chair. They didn't have chairs in the temple. You know why? Because the work was never done. There was always one more sacrifice, always one more offering. But what does it say about Jesus? Crucified, resurrected, ascended into heaven, that he sat down by the right hand of God. You see... When he was on the cross and he said, Te telestai, it is finished. It's a banking term. No more deposits. The debt is gone. What I want you to understand is that in Christ Jesus, you are not a pardoned convict who's always going to have a record. You are the cleansed and washed and adopted son and daughter of God. So I grew up in this little church when I was a boy. We didn't have a praise team. We never even heard of a praise team. If we had, we'd have been against it. But we did have a brother that knew how to lead singing. And he would stand in front of us and he would say, now turn to number 323. That's 323. Number 323. Then he'd pull this thing out of his pocket and he'd go, ding, 
And he'd do this. And we would sing to the Lord. The problem was, sometimes he'd be sick or he'd be gone. And we didn't have anybody else who had one of these things. Which, by the way, I learned later was an aid to the worship, not an addition. And, and so the only thing we had was Brother Joe. And Brother Joe only really knew one song. There's power in the blood. And he wouldn't do this because he didn't know how to do this. And so when we sang power in the blood, he would pump his fist every time. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. It's as close to being Pentecostal as we ever got. And every time Brother Joe led, people would get upset and the elders would put him on the shelf. But then three months later, Brother so-and-so with the thing would be gone and Sunday night. And that meant it was going to be power in the blood time. (laughs) And I loved it. Because I realize now. That what God has done for me in Christ is greater than anything I've ever done. And it's greater than anything that's ever been done to me. Because it's not just the wrongs of my past I carry with me. It's the wounds. And freedom is realizing that I'm no longer confined by those wounds. You see, some people let their wrongs become their prison. Some people let their wounds. Because here's the deal. Every one of us has done the Father wrong. And every one of us has been done wrong by a brother. Somebody lied to you, slandered you, hit you, stole from you, cheated you, abandoned you, broke their promise to you. And you can't let it go. The problem is that holding on to wrongs never turns out right. See, the only way to escape the paralysis of bitterness is the way of forgiveness. Patty Davis writes about her father, Ronald Reagan. Some of us remember the day the president was shot. And she says the next day she's at the hospital, not to see the president, but to see her father. And he wants to know the name of the man who shot him. John Hinckley was his name. And they say, why? And he says, because I need to forgive him. And they say, why? And he says, because Forgiving him is essential to my healing. You see, forgiveness is the way you keep from being chained 
to a past you can't change. You can't go back and undo that wound. But it doesn't have to be your prison. You leave the mat by forgiving the person who hurt you. Not because they deserve it, but because you didn't. So Paul could say, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Or Colossians 3, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now remember, the man writing those words is in prison for something he didn't do. See, forgiveness is not pretending the wound never happened or that it didn't hurt or that it wasn't evil or just not evilly establishing trust with the person who hurt you. Forgiveness is deciding that Jesus' wounds are sufficient for the healing of my own. And that the grace he poured out on me that I didn't deserve is too precious to hoard. I believe the cross invalidates all reasons for grudges. And the father that requires no past out of you does expect a certain kind of future. And so you have words like Hebrews 12, guard against turning back from the grace of God. Let no one become like a bitter plant that grows up and causes many troubles with its poison. Former President Bill Clinton tells of meeting Nelson Mandela for the first time. And describing getting his daughter Chelsea up at 3 o'clock in the morning to watch that history-making day when after 27 years of injustice, Nelson Mandela is finally released from prison in South Africa. And President Clinton said to Mr. Mandela, but I noticed as you walked across that courtyard, there there was hate and there was anger on your face. And that's not the Nelson Mandela that I know. And Mr. Mandela replied, yes, and I regret the TV uh, cameras caught that. But he said, I was angry. As they walked out of that prison, I couldn't help but think of the 27 years taken from me I could never have back. Of the family that I'd lost, the friends who'd been killed, the cause that seemed over. They had taken everything I cared about. And then he said, and then I heard a voice coming from inside that said, Nelson, for 27 years, you were their prisoner, but you were always a free man. Don't allow them to make you into a free man. 
only to turn you into their prisoner. We were not meant for mats. Every one of us has a past. And any one of us can have a future of freedom. Because God is greater than our past. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, for the blood of Christ, we are set free. And there's no miracle greater than that. And some of you today thought or still think you know what you need most. But you're wrong. What you need most is freedom. And it's real. It's real because Jesus went to the mat for you and me. He's the only one qualified to judge you for your past. And he doesn't. He dies so that you can be free of your past. He went to the mat for you and me. And now what does he ask? He asks us to leave our mats. And so some of you need to hear this, that what you think you need most is not what you most need. What you most need is freedom. And the way you get it is forgiveness. Forgiveness received, forgiveness applied, forgiveness extended. Which means you've got to take your past right past the cross. And so some of you, like me, have been inspired in recent days. Reading the blogs of our dear Sharon Washburn. Sharon's in the last days of a long, hard battle with cancer and she knows it. And in a recent blog, she talked about actually going through the house, getting some things in order so that her husband, Mike, won't have to when she's gone. She writes, as the cancer journey continues, I realize I need to go through some piles of stuff and do some cleaning so that Mike and the girls can be relieved of that duty as time goes on. I know some of my things and a lot of my stuff was important to me at one time in my life, but they've become things that are no longer needed. Okay, I'll admit it. Sometimes I just shake my head at myself that it was ever important and wonder what I was thinking when the item was required. But then she goes on to say, it's not just stuff she needs to get rid of if she's going to get her house in order. 
My sin, guilt, selfishness, stubbornness, self-absorption seem to pile up in my life too. Piles of bitterness, resentment, failings, laziness lay around in my life and get in the way of living. They get in the way of freedom in Christ Jesus. Now this isn't the stuff that can be seen easily. Like the purple blouse I bought on sale and have never worn. It's the hurt and disappointment. It's the harsh words, the estrangement, lack of follow-through from others. It's abandonment issues and abuses faced. It's the alcohol that ruins lives of families. The abortion haunting the minds and hearts of precious women feeling they were out of choices. It's the beatings, the blame, the hidden family secrets that have created piles of junk in lives that are heavy. Yeah, it's all the sin I lug around that gets so heavy. I'm going to make a run to the cross. I'm going to leave some junk there that I don't want to carry even another day. Some of this junk is what I created and some is not. Some is what I brought into my world by the choices I made. And a lot of this stuff is what others decided for me. You see, carrying the past of a childhood into adulthood is the worst I want you to come with me. I want you to make a run to the cross too. Make a run every day. Take something there and leave it. Take one bag or one box a day and never see it again. Because you see, some of us have lived way, way too long in bondage. And I'm touched by the lyrics of David in Psalm 119. He says, I will walk about in freedom. But to do it, I've got to deal with my man. So, I asked all of you to get a card like this. I'd like you to take it out now. And I'm just going to ask you the next few moments to be honest. Some of you know exactly what your mat is. And some of you, because of the pain, have tried to stuff it so far back in the closet you can't find it. But I'm going to ask you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to answer this question. What's one thing from my past keeping me from the freedom Jesus wants me to have? I'd like you to bow your head, spend some time with God. And when the Holy Spirit reveals your mat, I'd like you to write it down on this card. Do that, please. God help us for some of us we have lived on a mat for so long it's become normal living without our mat 
is frightening. But God, we need a new normal. Teach us not to fear freedom. But to long for it, to yearn for it. And to believe that if we step into the gospel of Jesus, it is there for us. It's what we need so much more than what we often want. And so, God, we're going to get honest. We're tired of the stuff in the closet. We're tired of giving the enemy permission to haunt us and accuse us and define us. We're believing Jesus. It's finished. It's done. It's gone. And we are going to live forgiven. Forgiven and forgiving. Because you, oh God, are greater than our past. So God, we step into the gospel today. We get off the mat. For Jesus' sake and name, amen. Now I want you to stand up, please. Everyone take your card, hold it over your head. When I count to three, we're going to tear it in two. You ready? One, two, three. Tear that thing. We don't need mats anymore, do we? We don't need mats. You know what? Right after I dismiss you, Skylar Kirkpatrick's going to get baptized into Jesus. If you know her, just come on up and celebrate with her. If you're on our prayer team, I want you to come down and just spread right across the front. It could be that you need some help getting rid of your mat. You need someone to intercede and just hold your hand. So we're going to be ready to pray. Also, a couple of elders are going to be up in the balcony, and you can pray with them. Out in the foyer, there's some trash cans, and they say, Matt, trash. You don't take this home. You throw this away. No mats going home today. The gospel is true. The gospel is real. Step into it this week. Live free. I love you. We'll see you next Sunday.